Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Welcome into the show. It's April. We're less than a month away from the NFL draft. And we're finally getting some sun, like here in the great state of New Hampshire, Henry. So things are are clearly looking up for us. And, and that's how I've decided to cope with this predictably slow and quiet offseason for the Patriots. It's spring now and the sun's out. That's how I'm coping with this offseason so far for the past. That's where I'm at. Yeah, let's. you know I love a good metaphor. So let's just get it out of the way within the first minute of the podcast. It's thawing. You know, New England is thawing right now. And as cold and dark as it looked a month ago, from a free agency and a weather standpoint, things are starting to thaw. Things are starting to look up a little bit. Am I right, Patriots fan? No? No? You guys, what do you guys think out there? I don't know. I mean, we got to be, be feeling good about Devontae Parker, right? Like, we got to feel exactly. a little something about this. Yeah, our first topic, I think, has people probably looking up a little bit. Although on Twitter, I've, I've definitely seen mixed reviews of the trade. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Patriots fans have been dying for a wide receiver all offseason, and they got one. They got one. Yeah, they got, we got one that we, that we know well because the Patriots play Miami a lot. We know Devontae Parker. We know exactly who that is. We watched him torch Stephon Gilmore a couple of years ago. So, you know, we, we know exactly who this player is, and that's where we'll start. We're going to get to, uh, you know, some other topics on this week's show for sure, including some thoughts on the draft, some thoughts on the AFC East post-trade here, and Post first crazy wave of free agency, but yeah, let's open up with thoughts on the Patriots acquiring Devontae Parker from the Dolphins. Henry, a swap of third and fifth round picks. What's your opening take on that? What's your leadoff thought? So let's get to sort of the brass tacks, the nuts and bolts of the trade. The Patriots send a third round pick for 2023 in exchange for Devontae Parker, who's on a two year contract and a 2022 fifth-round pick. The value of a 2023 third-round pick is actually equal to, roughly, a 2022 fourth-round pick. So in theory, the Patriots really dropped from this year's fourth round to the fifth round and acquired, you know, a, a starting caliber receiver. So... That's sort of a way of thinking about it in like, you know, let's let's sort of liquidate all the assets. Right. You know, it, you know what I mean? Like, like try and contextualize what the Patriots really gave up, because sure. in yeah. theory, they gave up a third rounder. But really, it's actually less value than that. Um, so so think of it in those terms for those who feel like the Patriots might have given up too much. Really, they they kind of dropped. In a literal sense, they dropped, you know, 60, 60 picks in the drafts. But in a more, like, uh, value standpoint, they really only th- dropped, like, 30, let's say. And then there's the finances of it. When the Patriots acquired Parker, the Dolphins eat all of his bon- salary bonus, his signing bonus, excuse me, and the Patriots take his salary. So New England's going to pay him about 5 point like we'll say nine million for the next or oh sorry it looks like it's more like six million 
Yeah, so New England's going to pay him about $6 million a year for the next two years. Make it 12.3 over the whole span of what is likely to be his tenure in New England, barring, you know, major problems. So that, again, for context, Nelson Aguilar's deal was two years, 11 million, or 22 million at 11 million a year. But like Kendrick Bourne, he's making on average about 5 million a year. Jacoby Myers, he's making on average, well, he just signed an you know, he just got tendered in restricted free agency. So he's going to make about $4.99 million, basically five, for 2022. So where, where does that put him in the pecking order from a financial standpoint? Below Nelson Aguilar, above Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers. Now, this doesn't tell us, uh, you know, the whole world about him. But again, the Patriots are very careful about where they scale the earning power of their players. So when they acquired Nelson Aguilar for all that money, it was pretty clear they planned to make him their number one receiver. That didn't work out. But now that they're bringing in Parker, he has the finances to sort of suggest that he's maybe not their absolute number one, but he's clearly in a place where they expect him to be a starter for 2022. And 2023, probably. Um, the last thing I'll say about all those brass tacks is he is on a contract through 2023. So he and Kendrick Bourne are basically the only relevant receivers on the roster that will be on the roster next season. Both Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers are set to have expiring contracts in 2022. So that's another thing is like continuity for this receiver room. Um, so that's sort of like how the personnel and like sort of logistical elements of this trade make sense. But from like a, how does actually this player fit into the Patriots offense? Well, he's exactly what the Patriots wanted when they drafted Nikhil Harry. So the Patriots spent a first rounder on Nikhil. It didn't work. And now they're trying to make up for it by adding a more expensive veteran that costs them a fourth round pick to acquire. It's not great when you look at it through that lens in the sense that to get a big, tall, not exactly explosive, but um, wide catch radius, contested catch winning outside receiver, the Patriots ultimately had to pay uh, a first rounder and a fourth rounder, and now they're paying extra money for him. Rather than rookie money, they're paying extra um, veteran money. So in the in that sense, it's not great. But if Parker ends up being what Nikhil Harry was supposed to be, and what you know Parker has been in with inconsistencies due to injuries, then it's then it's a big step forward for the offense. Yeah, it's, that's like a unicorn position, that outside receiver that can be a little bit bigger and more physical and dominate around the goal line. Like That's been a unicorn for the Patriots. They have not been able to find that guy, Henry. They've been trying for years. Maybe Devontae Parker is the, uh, is the solution. And, and, and my take on this, when I look at this as a, as a fan, because um, you know that's my role with the show, is to look at this as, as the fan. So I'm, I'm looking at this through my lens here. You know, my big thing is we got to surround Mac Jones with uh, weapons, and 
And, and how can we say that we have it? It's not fair to say that the Patriots are not surrounding Mac Jones, right? Now you have Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, if he sticks around, uh, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, James White's back. They added another little veteran receiving back in Ty Montgomery, right? They also brought back Trent Brown to help shore up the offensive line. So it's not fair to say that they're not surrounding Mac. Um, you know, it's all set up, as you like to say, Henry, for him to play point guard and just kind of feed the open man. And, you know, when you look at this offense, the way it's constructed right now, there's no clear-cut guy that you have to, quote-unquote, shut down. You have to take this guy away. Like, the Patriots have all these guys that can get open and hurt the defense, and that should be an advantage. I feel that. The scary part for me as a fan is that Josh McDaniels is now in Las Vegas, right? And when you have a second-year point guard in Mac Jones, you're going to need someone to feed him the right plays. And I just don't expect Mac to be ready to be out there changing plays, ab-libbing like Aaron Rodgers here in year two. I just think he's a guy that's proven that he can execute the offense at a high level and put the ball in the right spot on the right receiver. Uh, But he needs the right plays. He needs to be kind of feeling that cohesion with his play caller like he was with, with Josh McDaniels. I think that helped him a great deal last year. And I'm just not feeling super confident that this offense is going to be able to click right away with Parker coming in, a new guy, and all these second-year guys like Mack and Bourne and Aguilar and Henry and Smith with no offensive coordinator and this unknown play caller, right? Like, I would feel way more confident in this version of the Patriots offense, Henry, if we still had Josh McDaniels or if they had brought in uh, Billy O'Brien like we talked about in our previous pods. Like, I would feel way more comfortable with that than whatever is going to happen with, with is it Belichick and Patricia and Joe Judge, some combination of those guys calling the plays and crafting the the game plan and I don't know I just think there's a lot of pieces a lot of young players that haven't been here for very long and a lot of turnover that were in unknowns on the coaching staff for me to feel like this offense is going to click next year I still feel like it's going to be super inconsistent I think that's my biggest fear as a fan yeah you made two well you made a a handful of good points but two that got me thinking the first is you know something I've been talking about a lot on Patriots Wire and on Twitter, the Patriots have absolutely invested in Mac Jones. And and Patriots fans may not like how that looks at this point, but here are some numbers that back it up. The Patriots are spending $38 million in cap space at wideout this year. That's third in the NFL. Third most. That's, That's how much they're investing at receiver. Doesn't feel like it, but it's true. Yep. The Patriots are also spending $31 million at tight end. That's first in the NFL and by a wide margin. Tom Curran dug up those numbers, but they're easy to find on like over the cap and, and, and spot track to cap, salary cap websites. The point is, Patriots have, have I, I've been on this podcast singing the praises of Bill Belichick constantly for making a big investment in last year's free agency class. He bought his team, which most teams should not do. He bought it in a buyer's market, which made him, at least at the time, look smart. But what he did was spend way too much money on Nelson Aguilar. And for now, (laughs) it's it seems like, yeah, he spent too much money on Johnny Smith. There's no way that Aguilar with these four receivers on the, him included on the depth chart, he'll never live up to his, his contract. Not, not 
And there's just, there's no way. There's no way that Aguilar suddenly puts up 1,400 yards. Because even, okay, let's say even if he puts up 1,100, like that maybe gets him close. But I still don't think that's possible because he's the fourth receiver on this depth chart. And even if he's not technically wide receiver four in the Patriots' eyes, he is a role player at this point in the offense. He's a field-stretching player that doesn't actually bring a great amount of efficiency to his snaps. Like, he doesn't produce when he's on the field. Versus Parker, I think, may end up being a much more efficient guy. And if Parker and Aguilar are different, they're, they play a similar position in totally different ways. And so if the Patriots ultimately find that Parker runs you know, that outside receiver position better than Aguilar, like they're not going to keep giving snaps to Aguilar. They're going to have to put Parker on the field all game long. And they'd probably, if Parker has the success that he, you know, historically has had, thinking specifically about the 2019 season, which is the only year, by the way, he's gone over a thousand yards, but like not trying to give Patriots fans heart attacks just yet about this offense. Um, and why hasn't he gone over a thousand yards? Injuries, hamstring, ankle, um, shoulder. He's had a lot. Uh, but yeah, ultimately the Patriots have spent a lot of money. And at first it looked smart. And this year, Bill Belichick has to back it up. He needs at least John U. Smith to take a bigger step forward to make this, this aggressive spending and seemingly unimpressive production kind of come together in a more coherent way. And what you're saying to parlay it into what I thought was the second really good point is Belichick hasn't necessarily equipped himself to do that. It's scary. He's got this, this smattering of like, I would say questionable talent, right? Like every single one of these players that comprises these this massive spending at both receiver and tight end let's maybe take out like hunter henry is probably the only one of that group that is like a certainty almost although even he at the end of the year had trouble in the red zone because all teams would do was clue in on him right but um every one of them has some sort of like element of question and in some cases very big questions so what the Patriots have to do this, this offseason is answer those questions. How can they keep Devontae Parker healthy? Does that mean putting him on a pitch count, like fewer snaps and a lot more work to prevent injury? Maybe that's what they do. What about Nelson Aguilar? How do they get him the ball? <laughs> that's a big question. Um, Jacoby Myers, you don't have as much questions. I mean, you need to get him faster, but He's never going to be faster, so you kind of have what you have. <laughs> yep. How do you get Kendrick Bourne playing at the level that he played in the final 10 games, but over a span of a whole season? How do you get um, Johnny Smith involved in the offense, right? Get him more confident, not just catching the football, but running routes that can get him the ball beyond sort of negative five to plus five yards from scrimmage. So that's the, flow, the only right? place. Can we stop trying right. so hard to scheme up Johnny Smith? Can he just be in the flow yeah. of the offense? Like that would be nice. right. D- design plays need to die in this offense. This offense is all about who's open and can you get him the ball? Yes. And that yes. means that five different players have to be working to not, not, 
necessarily as a team, but rather like as, as individuals, like do what you can to, to make a play if you have the winning matchup. If you're, if you're, because at a certain point when you have five really good pass catchers and you, you may not have that number one guy who gets open every time, but you got five guys who you can target on any given play. That's kind of where this offense is going. But who is setting up the offense? Who is setting up the quarterback for success? Who is answering these questions that all of the problems that are happening within the pass catcher groups? It used to be Josh McDaniels. This year, we have literally no idea who it is except for Belichick. And question mark, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge. Do you have much faith in either of those coaches, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who, when they were head coaches, did not run offenses super well? And prior to being head coaches, were not really working on the offensive side of the ball. Joe Judge's experience extends to one year as a receivers coach while he was special teams coordinator. And he was developing Nikhil Harry in his first year in the NFL. And that didn't go so great. Nope. So um it's yeah it's that was a lot i'm sorry i just threw a lot no, at no, everyone no, it was well i mean my take on those coaches on like judge and patricia like i totally trust trust that belichick will be able to coach them up i'm just worried about this year i think i think it could there's gonna be a lot of inconsistency this year i, I mean maybe eventually this offense will be humming with those guys in charge i i, I 2023 2024 i could see that coming i just think this year how do we right. expect it to click Right off the bat. So here's the question is like, does he, does Bill Belichick even expect this team to click in 2022? Yeah. Yeah. I would say yes, just knowing him. I think he does expect it, right. you know, but I mean, of course, uh, it's of unrealistic. Course he, he wants to win every year, but like it's all, it is this, but this team is built so with so many, you know, offense is supposedly the most important part of the game right now. And their offense is just so uncertain. Um, it, I could see this team being very good by week 12, but at that point, like they have such a challenging strength of schedule. Are they going to be like four and seven at week 12 and then they're out of the playoffs? Cause it doesn't matter that they're actually a really good team by that point. I don't know. It's, it's like you said, you know, you trust Bill Belichick to bring up the coaches. You trust Bill Belichick to bring up Mac Jones. You trust Bill Belichick to find ways for all of these really expensive, um, like as a whole, really expensive pass catchers to have a role in the offense. But when he has to do all of those things over the course of, of an NFL season, how quickly can it all come together? And now like the Dolphins, the Dolphins. Let's look at the other side of this trade, right? Devontae Parker gets traded from the Dolphins to a division rival, Henry, because they're so stacked at wide receiver and they have the new regime that they could unload Devontae Parker for draft considerations, right? They added Cedric Wilson Jr. from Dallas and the big whopper of the one of the biggest moves of the offseason so far, Tyreek Hill. They have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Cedric Wilson. These three, like, little quick, sure handed receivers who can get open. I mean, Jalen Waddle was a rookie last year. He caught 100 balls last year from Tua. So their offensive weapons uh, are, are scary. Miami, are, Miami, I'm talking about. I mean, they used a franchise tag on Mike Gusecki, who, who I'd put in the top 10 for tight ends. They also added Teron Armstead, who I think is probably the best left tackle in football. They added him in free agency. I don't think running backs really matter, Henry, but they got Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. Two more shifty little fast 
pass catching guys that uh, McDaniel, the new coach over there, can employ in his offense. They kept their band together on defense, which I think was above average last year. I mean, you know, I you know, I'm deathly afraid of the Bills, and I think the Patriots are way behind the Bills. I talked about that all all season last year. Uh, I think the Patriots on paper aren't they behind the Dolphins too? Like I think when you look at all we could do is look at on paper. I mean, this could change when we get on the field, obviously. But as of April 2022, aren't the Bills and Dolphins ahead of the Patriots on paper right now in the AFC East? Like, what do you think about that? Yes, the answer is simple and yes. But here's the thing. Let's look at the data. The McDaniels era, or sorry, McDaniel era Dolphins, how many wins do they have? Zero. Yeah. Even I'm good at that and, math. <laughs> right. I, I figured you could get to that one. Thank you. I did have to um, think for a minute. I know. It's like, where'd you go? Um, <laughs> I was like, what were their what, what was their record last year? Oh, wait, wait, wait. That doesn't matter. Okay, let me do that. Let me uh, let me answer this. Go on. Yes. And, the, the, my point is simple, which is that the Dolphins are entering an entirely different era. They were built previously, although I guess you could definitely argue that they were not built at all. But they were built previously for Brian Flores to succeed. Now, again, we have seen a lawsuit emerge that maybe just maybe and probably just probably the Dolphins were not built at all, actually, to succeed, that they were built to fail. Yep. And unfortunately, Brian Flores was the scapegoat in this situation, which gets at racial issues, which the NFL has many. But. Thinking about the AFCs, back back on task for a second. Um, I think Belichick has a history of taking care of first-year coaches, no matter how much more talented their team is than his. The biggest factor that kind of is an outlier here, or isn't kind of, but is very much an outlier here, is that Tom Brady used to be on those teams. And that was a big reason why Belichick was able to overcome new coaches with more talented rosters. It's because Belichick had an amazing connection with his quarterback. The quarterback was the best in history and the coach was the best in history. And so they really, the two of them could figure out how to be just about anybody. But I still like Belichick and Mac Jones more than I like McDaniel and Tua Tugovailoa. I mean, come on, like Tua, the reason why the Dolphins had to trade 75 million draft picks for Tyree Kill <laughs> after taking Jalen Waddle in the first round and then also spending bazillions of dollars on Cedric Wilson, the former wide receiver three in Dallas. Right. The reason why they have to do that and, like you said, pay for the best left tackle in football. Why, why do you think that is? It's because McDaniel knows that his quarterback absolutely stinks. <laughs> Tua is not good. And so... You know, I know there's the Tua non conspiracy theorists out there and they love Tua. I do not. I am not one of those fans. And I think that Mac Jones is going to far surpass Tua next season. Bill Belichick is on a different plane than McDaniel. And the Patriots ultimately will finish above the Dolphins in the season. Why? Because the offseason isn't over yet. And like you're saying, I agree. April... You know, early April of the offseason, the Dolphins are definitely better, like by a long shot. I just think Belichick has a way of knowing what his team needs to do to get to the right place. And all of a sudden, 
midseason or whatever, the Patriots are going to look super dangerous and the Dolphins are going to look like a team under a new head coach that isn't quite figuring out what they are and what they aren't. And the Patriots will head to the playoffs and the Dolphins won't. I mean, it is interesting how what's on paper changes when you're on the field. And we've seen teams that have these great collections of talent um, just sputter and completely um, suck. Uh, I think Joe Judge's Giants were a pretty good example last year. Like all the hype, Saquon Barkley's back, Kadarius Toney. I mean, uh, yeah, and uh, who's the other guy they got on the outside? Kenny Galladay. Like they had this, all these weapons, and it just, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And and who knows? You know, maybe that, maybe that same thing could happen in Miami. We'll we'll find out. Uh, let, let's talk about the Patriots' offseason as a whole now, including the Devontae Parker trade in the conversation, Henry. And let's talk about what that means for their draft needs. Right, where like like we said earlier. We're now less than a month away from the draft, the Pats draft number 21 overall. Everybody's kind of debating, oh, what are they going to do with that first-round pick? I think, you know, weeks ago we were all thinking Jamison Williams, Crystal Lave, like we want that wide receiver. Maybe it changes when they bring in a Devontae Parker. Maybe they don't go wide receiver early on, although I do think that's still a huge need, right, because you brought it up earlier with Myers and Aguilar, unrestricted free agents next year. Wide receiver remains a huge a huge need. Oh, and Nikhil Harry um, basically is now a blocking tight end. So, like, what are we doing? So, yeah, wide receiver remains a, a need. But how would you kind of rate the offseason and, and kind of round it up? Like, is it? It's kind of like it kind of feels to me like a golf clap type thing, right? Like, there's some interesting moves in here. Um, brought back a lot of your own, like Trent Brown. That's a good one. Like Devin McCourty's back. Okay, uh, James White. Okay, like that. Like Slater. Sure. You know Myers. Good. Like. You know, it's hard to like fault them. They brought back a lot of their their best guys. Malcolm Butler's back, I think. So I guess he's not mad at Belichick or whatever, whatever the conspiracy theories between Belichick and Butler. Malcolm Butler's back as the number one corner right now. That's interesting. Uh, they brought in Jabril Peppers, who's kind of a Joe Judge guy, right? Right with the Giants. So that's another interesting one. He's coming off an injury, so they've made some these low key kind of moves. I think Devontae Parker is definitely the splash so far, and then you got to factor in who they've lost, right? Two starting guards, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras. They're both gone. Karras is a really tough one. J.C. Jackson, really tough one to lose, right? Uh, Chase Winovich, whatever. Uh, He's gone too. But, you know, so when you factor in all the guys they've lost, all the guys they brought back, the the few guys that they have added, um, what do you think about where they stand now heading into the draft? Like what's different now than maybe it was a couple weeks ago when you start thinking about days one and two? of the draft for the Patriots and, and their, in their top needs. So I have imagined this. I have a long answer to that question. Those are my favorite ones. Go the first. I know the first, the first thing I'll say is I don't think the Patriots draft for need. I think they draft to prevent need in future years. I don't think the Patriots ever expect their rookies to start in year one. They expect some rookies to contribute in year one, but build toward a starting role for year two. And so when they draft, they don't draft, for example, for twenty for the 2022 draft. They are not drafting for the 2022 season. They are drafting for the 2023 season. They, they are taking players who fit their system and therefore have skills that already work within that system and therefore could earn them snaps immediately in their system 
but have other elements of their game that require development to be full-time players in you know their offense or defense. So when we look at what they really need in this year's draft, it's not really about this year. It's about next year. And, you know, we, we just knocked down one of the positions. I think receiver is a position not only, you know, technically still this year because of how big they whiffed on Nelson Aguilar, but and how they can't actually be certain that Devontae Parker is going to be, you know, an 800-yard, eight-touchdown receiver, which I think would be kind of a successful season for him. Right. Got to stay healthy. Um I think he, yeah, but they really need him in the red zone because like we talked about, Hunter Henry, and this is why I think they really went after him. Hunter Henry was their key to scoring alongside, you know, Damian Harris. But once teams stacked the box and doubled Henry, the Patriots didn't really have any other way to, to score. And so Parker can really help them there. But anyway, they tried Jacoby Myers a few times, Henry. It didn't work in the red zone. Right. I know. And that was the whole reason. Like they, they had right. to force the ball to Jacoby because everybody knew the ball would never go to Jacoby. Right. Right. So they had to do something to be like, look, we're dangerous in other ways. And it didn't even work. Like no. nobody even took that seriously. Um, but yeah, so like at 21st overall, where the Patriots pick, if Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, if any of those three guys are there, and it's likely that none of them are, if any of those guys are there, they got to take them because the Patriots then give that player roughly a year to develop. And it's likely they'll contribute earlier, but by 2023, they will have a major role. Another position where they really need help in 2023, tackle. Offensive tackle, both left and right. Yep. Um, Trent Brown. This. Trent Brown signed for a two-year deal, but there's no guarantee that he's around next year. Isaiah Wynn is on the fifth year of his rookie contract, so he could be gone next year too. They desperately need to think toward a 2023 solution. Um, we've seen we we like there are some there's some uncertainty at cornerback, uh, obviously both this year and next. There's plenty of uncertainty at linebacker both this year and next. The one position I think that is absolutely pressing for 2022, where you look at it and you're like, they are not ready for the season to start, is guard. Yep. They don't actually have two starters at guard. Like, they've got Michael Onwenu, who will replace probably Shaq Mason at right guard, but then they don't have a left guard. And for now, it's James Ferentz, probably. They have some guys like Yassir Durant who could play. Justin Heron could potentially play. Um, or Haran, sorry. But they have some like very low-level, maybe they could play guys. But they don't have a guy that should play. <laughs> and so they clearly know that. They went after Ryan Bates in free agency. He ended up with the Bears. Um. And so, so they'll probably add one more veteran to the group. And I think that's like, if anything, that's the last thing they'll do in free agency before the draft is add one guy so that they don't have to draft a guy that would be the immediate starter in 2022. Um, but that's kind of how I view the situation at, in, at that 21st overall pick and just sort of their philosophy in general. 
is basically that they have a ton of needs for 2023 and thus every position is kind of in play for for the 2022 draft but i think with a focus on tackle um receiver and probably cornerback but don't count out edge rusher honestly i think edge rusher is another position that this class is deep and that's one of those like classic bill belichick point of confusion where he's like oh yeah you guys think i'm gonna get a receiver oh and i got a defensive end <laughs> yeah exactly and, and you've like, never even heard of him wait we got judon like why you know and yeah that's gonna happen to- totally right totally and yeah no i mean if if i had to you know i did my own rankings of the positions and and you didn't tell me what your revised rankings were this was kind of done on the fly here and i had offensive tackle number one so i'm actually proud of myself um there and then i had wide receiver number two and then i think the other ones I think they, they need to address all of these positions in the draft, and they have eight picks, Henry, right? So they can. They have a pick in every single round, at least one, except for the seventh. So um, they should be able to address a lot of these. Uh, corner, for sure. I mean, you just lost J.C. Jackson. I'd lo- I mean, Malcolm Butler, it's, it's a cool story that he's back, but we need more corners. <laughs> we need more corners. And another one, you know, I've seen some mocks out there, inside linebacker, right? That's been another position of, of need. We've been dying to get a little bit younger. Um you know, I've talked about you know my dream of getting. I know Micah Parsons is a unicorn, but when I say that, I mean, can we get a guy on the inside, Henry, that can rush the pass or cover and defend the run? Who who could do everything? And can uh, we just get a guy who's good at everything, please? <laughs> that's been already. My, I don't understand why that's irrational as a fan. I, I don't understand, <laughs> but that's what you know. You know me. I've been wanting that guy. Uh, yeah. And maybe later on in the draft, I know if if they. If Nicobe Dean from Georgia is there at number twenty-one, yeah. that would be super interesting. But I think I'd be fine with them trying to find, uh, you know, a, that player maybe a project later in the draft. But like, I've seen Nicobe Dean, right? I think Todd McShay at ESPN had Dean uh, mocked to the Patriots at twenty-one overall. That could be another interesting move. Where I think you had a mock draft on Pat's Wire, where you know, surprise, Belichick drafted a safety, which that's another one right. that I think is is further down the list if we're looking at needs, but. You need to add depth there. I mean, Devin McCourty, I mean, how, how many years is he going to come back, right? Uh, you know, you, you got to have a future replacement at safety too. Um, that would make sense for 2023 and beyond. But the Kobe Dean, like inside linebacker, safety, defensive end, like I just, for some reason, I feel like there could be easy, there could easily be a curveball at number 21 by Belichick. Uh, and it could be one of those defensive positions just as easily as it could be tackle or wide receiver. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Safety, especially, I, I that slips my mind that McCourty's on a one-year deal. Jabril Peppers basically on a one. I think it is a one-year deal, and if it's not, it's effectively one. Uh, Adrian Phillips has just signed an extension, but he can only. I mean, he's limp. He's as quote-unquote versatile as he is. He doesn't play free safety, so they they're going to need someone that plays free safety. Um, so yeah, I I once mocked Dax Hill. And I'd like to say, pat myself on the back. Actually, I haven't patted myself on the back nearly enough this <laughs> podcast. Because guess who called exactly how this offseason was going to go? You did. You did. You did. nailed it. You deserve some back padding. You waited too long on the show to do it. Right at, <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> I, if For anyone who's still with us, don't leave. And I, we, and we I, love you. Thank you for being on this one. Yeah, I called. I said there was going to be one big splash. It was going to be at receiver. I figured it was Amari Cooper, but it was actually Devontae Parker. I think I thought it was going to be a trade because guess what? 
They were playing the compensatory pick formula this year. Of course. They laid super low in free agency. They were signed their best players, and then they added a few guys via trade and low-level deals that are minimal to the cap, minimal to the comp pick formula. So they're going to get a third rounder. They might also get something for Ted Karras, too, in the in the formula. Um, but yeah, also patting myself on the back for Dax Hill. Everybody's now following my lead on that one. Not that like... <laughs> you got I, some obviously crap everyone, initially, didn't you? Uh, you got some crap for that initially. Probably. But the... <laughs> I mean, obviously, everybody's just discovering what I discovered a little <laughs> bit earlier, which is that he's just like a super versatile, extremely athletic safety who could easily kind of, you know, win over Bill Belichick. Um, and the last thing I was going to say was that I forgot. I forgot what I, I just got so wrapped yeah, up you, in you patting were, myself in the back. Was this like, was this beyond the back padding or was this another back padding session that you were No, doing? I was done with bad back padding and I was thinking about something that you were, okay. that you had said previously about the draft and how it might play out. But I've, I've kind of, oh, oh, you were talking about linebackers. Yep. Okay. The weird thing about this draft class, at least how the mock drafts are playing out, and that could be totally fictional because mock drafts are totally fictional, but I'm fascinated by the fact that Devin Lloyd, who is like a souped-up Jamie Collins, and uh, N'Kobe Dean, who is Devin Bush 2.0, yep. the linebacker down in, in Tampa, yep. like how are these guys falling to 21? If both of them or one of them fall to 21, you know, as much as I think the Patriots should take a receiver early, there's no way the Patriots take a receiver, like I said, barring it being those three guys, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave. That's two Ohio State guys, one Alabama guy. They're among the three best receivers in the draft. If one of those three guys don't fall to the Patriots, and one of those two linebackers, Nicobe Dean out of Georgia, Devin Lloyd out of Utah, that I feel like that makes perfect sense. And that's why, you know, so many people are, are saying that right now, because they're these like absolutely like Formula One race car flying speedsters on the defense. And they're super versatile in different ways, totally different ways. Like uh Devin Bush, sorry, uh Kobe Dean is versatile within the interior of the defense. So he's like an inside linebacker that can also rush the passer and play in coverage, but he can't play multiple positions versus like Devin Lloyd is very versatile from position to position. Um, and so there's that small difference I'd say, but they're both undersized, which is a little weird, but we've already seen Belichick go undersized at linebacker this off season, keeping Jawan Bentley trading for Mac Wilson from the Browns. So why not just like, he's probably just going to go all in on these smaller guys. And so I could easily see Belichick getting excited about both those two linebackers. Yeah. I mean, well, how do you defend freaking Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle running all over the middle of the field when you have, you know, big, slow linebackers out there, you just, right. it's hard. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, maybe it's a shift. Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds, those dudes run, they run like they fly. four fours. Yeah. Sub four, four, four. You need, you need, like Nicobe Dean, who runs a four four as well, or there's um there's a uh, Montana State linebacker. I think his name's Troy Anderson. Um, well, first of all, Devin Lloyd played receiver uh, 
<laughs> until he got to well, Utah. I well, think Belichick would love there. that. He would love that. Loves that. Troy Anderson played quarterback and I think running back. He's a Montana State product. He didn't play very much linebacker in in uh, college, but when he did, he just like absolutely racked up tackles. It was insane. And he runs a sub four four forty. There are some really fast linebackers in this draft, and if the Patriots are thinking they're they're needing, they have a need for speed. Uh, Top Gun reference. Then they could easily get a, a you know one or maybe even two linebackers that that break the four point four forty second forty yard dash metric. Yeah, no, it's going to be super interesting. But I'm glad you got that that back padding in, Henry, to go back to that because. Oh yeah. You were right. Uh, you... It's probably better for the listener that we waited until. <laughs> yeah, end, probably. I, we have more listeners probably... hanging on. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, because we did a whole pod on it, though, earlier on in the offseason, how we should expect the opposite of last year, right? Where we should expect them right. to be sitting back, being patient, making the smart moves that are good for the budget this year. Because last year they were super aggressive and they threw big money at a bunch of free agents and we knew some would pan out and some might not, right? Like you talked about how. They went. They went two, like Bourne and Aguilar, hoping one would pan out. They went Henry and uh, Smith, one of those, hoping one of those tight ends would would definitely pan out. Right? Maybe both. It'd be great if both of them. It'd be great if Nelson Aguilar was lighting the world on fire or Johnu Smith, but it didn't really work out that way. But at least we got one good player out of it. Um, so that was super interesting. How these two off seasons are are so different, but we could feel this coming. Right? We just felt like it was going to be the opposite. Uh, of last season and, and you're right you you were 100 percent right on that so so you deserve it henry you deserve you deserve the back padding um you should you should take that victory lap all you want my friend okay and yes and you're in your twitter have you been calling stuff on twitter too you do a good job on twitter as well so there you go is that enough <laughs> is that enough pumping of your tires i'm doing great everybody <laughs> everybody follow me yes please if you want autographs i'll send them out to you join everyone else who's following henry on twitter you're, you're definitely you're definitely you're on. You're on the come, man. You're an up and coming Patriots media star. But no, you'll tell me Thanks, that you've brothers. been. Do, you, you'll you'll be telling. You'll tell me that you've been doing this for like 20 years, which is probably true, right? So yeah, yeah. I've been on the beat for like this is my seventh year, so it's it's like past due at this point. It's more than an indictment of my own lack of come up. But let's not get into that. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, enjoy the good weather that's on the way here in New England. Uh, good to be in spring. Good to be talking about the draft here. Uh, We'll be back here at least one episode this month previewing the draft, right? That's the plan? Yeah, we'll do. We've got big plans. Pre-draft, post-draft, and then we're going to take a big picture look at the offseason as it pertains to Mac Jones. So keep an eye out for those podcasts. Yep, it's all about Mac. Keep an eye on the Patriots wire as well, as always. Uh, Henry, you know how to say bye to the people. Go ahead. Wrap this one up for me. Ladies, gentlemen, April showers bring May flowers. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.